Hi, folks. This is Scarlett Woods. I'm from Brainerd, Minnesota, and you're listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. Welcome to episode number 18 of the Minnesota Music Shakedown, a podcast dedicated to spinning some of the best original Twin Cities and beyond area music. Featured this week are songs by December Friend and music and interview with Scarlett Woods. Also, part two of three with the top five Bob Dylan songs of all time with a celebrity guest panel of T.D. Mishki, Courtney Yasmine, Ryan Young from Trample by Turtles and myself, and guest judges Nicole Stanton and Samuel John. I'm your host, Mark Sterry, and thank you for supporting live and local music. This is Joel Levitin from December Friend, and you are listening to the Minnesota Music Shakedown.
was December Friend with their song Always Something Special from the 2023 album Splendor Never Dies. Interview coming soon. Next up is part two of three with the top five Bob Dylan songs of all time with a celebrity guest panel of T.D. Mischke, Courtney Yasmine, Ryan Young from Trampled by Turtles and myself and guest judges Nicole Stanton and Samuel John. Afterwards, hear the T.D. Mischke song, The Girl in Her from his 2008 album, That Kind of Day. Enjoy! All right, welcome back to the Minnesota Music Shakedown here at the beautiful Beedo Club, the BDC 2100 here in St. Paul slash Roseville, Minnesota. Huge thank you to Ryan Young right here, Tom, T.D. Mischke, Courtney Esmine, Sam Johns, and Nicole Stanton doing judging. And we're doing the top five Bob Dylan songs compilation to present to folks that maybe don't have too much experience with Bob Dylan's music. We're having a blast here at the Beedo Club. Come support places like this. This is a non-profit. Tom's lived in St. Paul his whole life and never been here before. No, A never been here. B never heard of it. Now, for that's the record, a, that's for a the, sin. For the record, uh, <laughs> for my fellow St. Paulites, we are just slightly outside the border, but uh, you know, I don't get around Roseville quite as much as I do in my hometown. But I will say this: it's a lovely place, and it has the feel of if Al Capone lived today instead of back when he did, he might hang out here in a it's just a weird it's off the beaten path you're going down some wooded street and then you turn off and go down a little hill and all of a sudden you're in some place where uh the whole vibe here is uh, a little bit uh, possibly 150 miles from here more what it feels like i feel like i'm 150 miles from home you're about five minutes from your Walking house the road other men have been down <laughs> yeah, seeing a world of plates people and things mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. It's God's favorite bar, mine and Mark's favorite bar. Hell yeah. It's my favorite. It's my watering hole. I love playing down here. Okay, we're going to kick things back off. So with number, I believe our number three. Mm -hmm. So Nicole, who is up next? Um, We're going to go with Courtney first for this third round. Okay, I'm going to try to throw a curveball to the best of my ability and say that I remember sitting in a movie theater... And the film was called Wonder Boys, and the, the 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 lead guy comes out like in a bathrobe out of his house to get his newspaper, and he looks like he's hungover and just totally a mess. And the guitar lick comes in, and it's so loud in the theater that I thought, oh my god, they really like did this justice because I was looking forward to hearing that the the opening credits is a Bob Dylan song that he I believe he won the Oscar that year for that song he did. and it's it's called I used to care but things have changed and I think that that's important because I think Bob Dylan did care and I think you hear how much he cared in so many of the songs and I think to get to the point where he's saying I used to care but things have changed and there's also an interview during that time where he says I might I seem spooky Cause I feel spooky, <laughs> <laughs> and I think he did feel spooky. And I, I think that song, I don't know, it's it's way later. It's like in the '90s or something. I, I like, don't know the song personally. I feel like falling in love with the first woman I meet, putting her in a wheelbarrow and wheeling her up the street. Nice. <laughs> People are crazy and times have changed. I'm locked in tight. I'm out of range. I used to care, but things have changed. I love that, man. That's badass. It's pretty badass. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a weird song because it did kind of have that feel. You know how John Lennon. In 1980, he put out that song, 
I'm just watching the wheels go round. Mm -hmm. I really love to watch them roll. No longer ride on the merry-go-round. I just had to mm -hmm. let it go. There was a sense of that detachment with mm -hmm. that song where, hey, guys, I used to be that guy who was plugged in and really, you know, I was looking at the political scene and I was writing songs about my era and I'm I'm checking out. I don't mm -hmm. give a damn anymore. And it was mm -hmm. kind of frightening in that respect to big Dylan fans going, really? He's done giving a shit? <laughs> so another thing about this bar, I'm going to do a little aside. So that guy right there, is Dave Wright, and he was one of the first employees of the St. Paul Saints when they first came to when they first started. He does. He's been on TV all week doing the high school hockey tournament, and he's got one of the greatest speaking voices. He's been on the podcast a million times, Aww. but he does all the MC work for all kinds of shit. So Tom, you got to meet he him for sure. Meet him. I've known him for thirty years. He's you a, know Dave Wright. He's a sports columnist for the Villager, which was my dad's newspaper starting oh, in 1970, <laughs> and my brother's newspaper currently. The whole oh world God. goes to the Beatle Club. So I tried great. to tell Sam that, and he's finally listening. The whole world comes to this. I damn used bar. to do television uh, color analysis for the Saints. You know. Yeah. So right. Dave was doing. Uh, I think he might have been doing the radio so you know play Dave. by play. I know him well. Jesus. And. Uh, I would do this color commentator stuff on TV, and I learned later I was so bad at it, and it was so weird and out there that I, I, I found out people used to tune into Channel 23 just to get stoned and listen, <laughs> because it was so antithetical to everything baseball was about. Oh, my God. All right, that's great little side. Right. Okay, Nicole, who's next? Um, so Ryan is going to be next, but I just want to say something really quick. Um, since we're gearing this towards, you know, mostly younger people or people who haven't heard Bob Dylan, um, I think that the way that we're introducing people to him is different than maybe people are introduced to new musicians now as we're doing it in a way we're not giving them his top songs. Um, we're giving them songs that have maybe like a deeper meaning and as musicians and lyric writers, we can dive deeper into each one of the songs and bring out the meaning um, and kind of give it a bit more of a justification. Do you know what I'm saying? The first sure. four were his top songs. Absolutely. The, absolutely. No, but we can explain these songs um, to people who don't know him in a different way than maybe songs are introduced to people today through um, how much they're streamed, um, how much money they've made. We can give a song that maybe wasn't received as one of his best, but as musicians and songwriters, we can listen to it in a different way and kind of present it in a different manner. And I just wanted to make a side note of that because I sure. thought that's kind of a cool way that... Like she just did. Yeah, Perfect. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. and I think... I just wanted to mention that because I think it's really cool and not maybe not too many All right. um, yeah. people we can got hear it. that. So Ryan is going to be up next. Well, my next choice <laughs> is actually uh, one that I picked because the band... It, it shows how his how much his band kicks ass or kicked ass this particular band uh, and it's it, the song is Isis but it's specifically the version that's on the bootleg sessions bootleg uh, volume 5 that song rocks harder than pretty much any song I've ever heard and it's uh, you know the, the studio version of that song is, is good it's fine there's nothing wrong with it. The lyrics are interesting, and the, the the band plays well. Although in the studio version, it's kind of obvious that they're winging it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you like how well you know the the studio version of the song, but like it ends 
and as a musician, I can tell like the band didn't know the song was ending. Like all of a sudden, like Dylan must have like stepped up from the piano, and all of a sudden the band is like, "Oh shit, we're done." Okay, <laughs> and then they just stop, or, or like, and then they just play another little chord at the end, like, "Oh, ending, da 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 da." But they they obviously didn't know the song was ending. But the live version is just incredible. The 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 rhythm section. The drums and the bass are just so incredibly full of energy. The whole band is full of energy. Uh, I know that Mark Ronson is playing guitar. He's the guitar player for uh, for uh, David Bowie. And I, I actually saw a, uh, a documentary on Mark Ronson, and they talked about the time when he did play with uh, Bob Dylan, and he was not a Bob Dylan fan. He didn't like Bob Dylan's music very much, and he was just basically just doing it for the paycheck or whatever. He's like, yeah, it's not really my style of music, but uh, man, holy cow. He just... Incredible guitar playing, incredible drumming, bass playing, and like the and the way that Dylan sings it is he's got so much energy and, and just just power in it. It's it's incredible. So that's that's my pick for just like just to show how good he and his band can be as like musicians playing together. That's a great pick. I I'm I'm not familiar with it. Your promo was like Ric Flair cutting a promo in <laughs> 1980, Hard Times. If you have Dusty Rhodes, Hard Times, I now have to hear you that have fucking hear it. song. It's, that it's, was a good promo. It's so it's like it's it's so that was good. It's, Vern Gagne promo right there, Tom. <laughs> and we all know how he died. No. With brain disease, didn't mean? he? What do you mean? He did. <laughs> <laughs> TD, my buddy Tom Mischke. I think is he next? He he is next. The Eternal Number all Three. Right. I've just been screwed by number three. Analyze it with math. I couldn't be in a worse position. Third base. You get to double up. You get to double up. What the hell is this doubling up business? You got to make your own luck nowadays here at the BDL Club, the BDC 2100. Make your own luck. That's good. That's a good one. Or you have to kill people. And that brings me to the song I'd like to choose as my Bob Dylan song, which is Murder Most Foul. Now, what's fascinating is... In 2012, Bob Dylan writes a song, and in 2013, he hasn't written a song in a year, and in 2014, it's been two years, 2015, three, 2016, four, 2017, five, going on and on, it's Dylan Dunn, 2018, 2019, 2020, he says, here's a song, just kind of for the fans, as a way of saying thanks for your support over the years, it's 17 minutes long, it's the longest song I've ever written in my entire life, it's called Murder Most Foul. I looked today at a list of contemporary singer-songwriters' favorite Dylan songs. They went to 80, this was a music magazine, went to 80 contemporary singer-songwriters, professional, well-known, people like David Byrne and others, guys still working in the business, saying, pick your best Dylan song. There was a couple of cases where people doubled up. But nothing more than that. One song, four people picked as their all-time favorite Dylan song. And it was this song, which I don't like. But it's this is important about Dylan and something. You can't give a group of people just the songs you like. Because the story of Dylan is, songs you hate are great. As we learn with you and Hurricane. His 
if you take just the songs you like, you won't give people a fair, balanced look at Dylan. The fact that four people, including, by the way, David Byrne of the Talking Heads, picked Murder Most Foul as their all-time favorite song says, wow, that was a 2020, 17-minute crazy, what the hell's Dylan doing here kind of a thing. And it's your favorite song by a guy who was at his peak in 1965? So I throw that song out. Okay. Ye gods. Amen. Amen. Well, nice promo again, Tom. We're getting we're kind of going into the pro wrestling turn. Cutting <laughs> promos on shit. Yeah, right. Listen to your brother. Vern, I didn't, Vern I didn't Ganya, like by the song. way, killed someone else in the in the memory care. Yeah, Vern Gagne killed body somebody body in the memory a guy care. and killed him. I just want to throw that out and just say, "Way to go, Vern!" Just a little from the peanut gallery here. <laughs> I don't yeah, ever suggest teach the bastards who say it was fake. <laughs> I love pro wrestling. Everyone knows me. Natalie behind the bar, one of my favorite people, is a huge pro wrestling fan. So down to the Beatle Club, we'll get some of the pay-per-views and watch them down here. <laughs> a lot of fun. All right, Nicole, who is up next? Uh, you are, Mark. Oh. All right. My number three. Reminiscent of Tom's promo about working for the St. Paul Saints when people would like to listen to him and smoke dope and watch the game and whatever. I think this song transcends to folks, and it can, it sums up a not a modern movie, but a favorite that's a timeless movie uh, by the Coen brothers, Big Lebowski. And I'm going to say off one of my favorite Bob Dylan albums of New Morning from 1970. It's trippy. It's cool. It's fun to play. When you play it at a show, people think it's like, oh, that's I know. That. Oh, that's from Big Lebowski. Another time shows how timeless his music is. The man in me. The man in me will do nearly any task. Ask for compensation, little he good ask. You know that one, Tom? You went obscure. I do know it. For the record, pardon the, the big pun, Lebowski that is not album obscure. was trashed when it came out. Considered at the time... Just a disaster for Dylan. New so morning. I should cross off the day of the locusts. <laughs> but that but song is fucking. Again, ridiculous. it speaks to the idea. Boy, you read. We haven't. No one's gone obscure here. You just did. You Not really. really. Did. Big Lebowski's. That's that's well, that's big, cultural. If you take Big Lebowski out of it. That I picked it with the with the mix well, yeah, of Big you Lebowski. Can't take, you can't okay. take it. Okay. You can't take the fact that it was in the movie out of the. Right. No, that's part of the history of, of the song and the right. history of it. About the one that won the right. Oscar. Yeah. I mean, it's like that. That also tells you something about what the world has been thinking about Bob Dylan too. To hear that filmmakers chose his songs, things like that. And by the way, if there ever is a real Dylan biopic, I hope the Coen Brothers do it. Uh, they did a tremendous job with uh, Inside Lewin Davis, which was a period piece from Greenwich Village, Dylan's early days, and wonderful job of painting that whole world. But as Minnesota boys, I think they do justice to uh, a guy like Dylan. And there hasn't been, and there won't be till he's dead, that real great biopic that will be wonderful to watch. All right, now I'm coming back around, I believe, right, in the snake draft? Yeah. Okay, so my, my number two would be, I'm kind of throwing this out the window. I just think it's one of the best songs written of my lifetime. It, it, it takes, wow. Tom, Tom, like when you do your podcast, you do 
chunks of people's life. This reminds me of my college days. This reminds me of discovering bands like The Band uh, that worked with Bob Dylan. And, uh, like, as being a, tr- a musician and a songwriter, my old guitar player, Dan Neal, still plays me down here sometime. One of our biggest things is unrealized expectations. And that, as a musician, when he... I think Bob Dylan sums up that when you're young, when you're a songwriter, when you're a player, and you're waiting for the world to figure out how fucking cool you are and and discover you, the genius that you are, um, the youthful innocence of that, he approaches from an adult point of view. And plus, Levon Helms singing this is literally church in my view. My number two is literally is just off his greatest hits and his studio cut when I paint my masterpiece. <clears throat> yeah, I mean I had that on my list. So you you're did. not gonna get it. Where the streets of our own are filled with rubble. Yeah. Ancient footprints everywhere. But uh, like when he talks about all this stuff Promise rather when I paint a masterpiece it's like you kind of like as a traveling like like a full-time musician you're always waiting for that like when this happens yeah. when I paint yeah. my masterpiece this will all come true and I just think he sums it up very well and it's a good message and to that younger was musicians only on a greatest hits on, as far as I can find it's a studio cut of greatest hits volume 2 just some bullshit and I think it's one of the best. And he's got wow. a goddamn key change there that make Ryan jump from this end of the fiddle to this end of the fiddle. <laughs> so he does that. Does he do that in A? Well, he could do. I don't know what key he does it. Probably oh, he X, does a, Y. He does a key does change where? In that song in the third verse. Oh, he, it lifts okay. all up. Okay. And I think it's one of those best written. It's, it's it, on my life reel or my movie. I left Rome I and hope, headed to Brussels as a yeah. key change. Well, somewhere in the middle okay. of the song is a key yeah. change. And. Uh, that's the third verse. Oh, beautiful song. That's on my top five. I don't care anymore. Yeah, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great song. And having uh, song. having Levon Helm sing that, you like he's my favorite singer. You know, like uh, who's better than Levon Helm? I don't know. I, I'd like to throw in a tiny moment of inspirational talk for other artists by saying that a lot. I have thought often about how a lot of times we as artists are not, um, we're not pushing our own stuff or we're not being confident enough about what we have created because we think that we haven't created our masterpiece yet. And so the stuff we've done isn't good enough and that's why it's not working out for us. And it might not be that. In fact, maybe... The Vincent Van Gogh. I went to the Vincent Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam, and he has this potato eaters painting that's all just sort of brown and muddy that he painted when he was young, and it's really harsh and depressing. And then he has his absolutely gorgeous stuff later on. But, but really, if you go through and you see the paintings, it's really good that the potato eaters painting is there too. So I'm this glad idea you said of that. like you I'm haven't you painted the Mona Lisa yet, so you that's why your your music isn't working out. That's why your life isn't working out because you just you're just not good enough yet. You haven't perfected your thing yet, and I I really think it's important for people to know that. I think Bob Dylan being able to put out Hey Hey Woody Guthrie, I wrote you a song when he was 18, and then keep going and keep going and keep going. A lot of that is speaks to his. Um, determination and his sense of self 
There, I said it. Well said. <laughs> that, uh, you know, I'm glad you said that. That reminds me of something my grandpa said when I first started writing music. Is a- another kind of thought-provoking statement about modern musicians and creating art and creating songs. Um, when we're writing songs, there's also this uh, factor of competing with all of musical history. When Bob Dylan was writing songs in the 60s, music wasn't nearly as accessible. And so the competition was much different. Where musicians of 2023 not only have to compete with modern musicians of 2023, but anyone has instant access to every song that Bob Dylan wrote 50 plus years ago and every song that every musician has ever wrote in the last 100 years. And so it's a much different environment today to creating art. Are you saying that as an advantage or disadvantage? I'm saying it's discouraging. And it could be a disadvantage or an advantage, but I found it relevant to kind of what you're saying. I think we should still, you know, push push our art. Yeah, um, it's it, a, it's it, an interesting thing you're saying because what Dylan was up against is he had to he had to create something out of whole cloth. He had to be the first at something. There was no one hanging out with him who's going. I wrote a song too. Nobody. Yeah. And, and the, I wasn't the idea to. of even writing was considered sort of audacious and how dare you. So there's there's the disadvantage he had of mm-hmm. literally having to create something out of whole cloth. But the advantage of if he could do that, there was no one else around doing it. Yeah, and I didn't mean to downplay Bob Dylan at all. That, no, that's what I'm not saying it, it is interesting to think about it. It works both ways. Mm-hmm. So today you have this tremendous advantage of all this stuff to draw on literally all over the world it's at your fingertips everything even something being done in korea right now you could just pull it and have that influence your next song something he never had but at the same time it's overwhelmingly daunting to think you may be able to add something utterly and wholly original like he did to that mix and yet it remains still possible yeah, and I think, like you said, it being daunting um, for a lot of young songwriters like Sam and myself. Um, it does. We're not bit... young. The rest of the fucking. Tables. Oh my gosh! Well. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. It's literally um, my last name. Exactly. You know exactly. You know what I'm saying. But I think it can be a bit daunting because um, the music industry is just so massive right now, and I mean, you can stream stuff on any platform. Um, and I think, especially in this day and age, a lot of people. At least from what I've gathered, like really popular music doesn't really seem to be coming from the heart. Um, so not that it's not. It's just kind of like it's like a money thing. It's a marketing thing. Um, and as I was really happy that you said that, Courtney, um, I definitely needed to hear that because it is really scary trying to show off your stuff. Um, and I've kind of gotten into a place where I don't play my original stuff anymore because I don't see it as being good enough. Um, but over the last few months... What I've started to do is, you know, my past stuff I've catered towards other people. How can I rewrite it to write it for myself and make it kind of like a therapy thing? So not thinking about who's going to hear it, but as long as I'm the one listening to it and I love it. You know, you have to be confident in what you do and that confidence will show and other people will see what you're doing as well. And I think that's a good thing to have these up-and-coming songwriters and musicians here as well to hear this, because I don't personally think Bob Dylan really gave a shit some of the time. 
he was doing his thing, but he, I'm not sure if he was quite trying. For sure, he wasn't trying to be on American Idol or being on The Voice or something like that. I think he was following his own artistic path, and I think that. Uh, but I do think you got to be careful. I think Bob Dylan was the most ambitious singer songwriter in the history of modern song. That guy would walk by a record store, look at Elvis, and say, I want to be him. He had a drive, an insatiable appetite to be great. And you cannot minimize that. It's Everybody knew it in Greenwich Village when he was starting out. And he had a cruel streak, an incredible cruel streak of putting other people down. It's in all the biographies. He's not a saint. He was ambitious as hell. He stole records from people left and right when he'd visit them. Hey, can I check that out? When they weren't looking, he took it. He was driven like an animal to be great. And sometimes that's how you become great. I think it's probably in some way, whether the, the cruel and the vicious part of you, if you can realize, like Ed Sheeran always says, that you have to be kind in this business you can't just be brilliant you have to be kind so th- there are people who have learned to do it a different way but and I'm all but you've for got that. but you've got an I- an inner killer instinct if you if you aspire to greatness any person who aspires to greatness is is they're they're not completely squelching their animal instinct their killer instinct and i want to also add that if you're a young songwriter just starting out you have to put blinders on and you have to be like, fuck everybody, I'm going to do this. And when you get on the stage, you have to look out there and go, fuck you all, I'm doing this. <laughs> you have to be that. You have to have that in you. But you know what else? I want to add, I'm 62. I really love my brand new album. I know that Bob Dylan must have to do that every day of his life. I think as you are an older artist and you want to be relevant you got to pull out that killer instinct just as much as you had to when you were 18 because everyone will want to dismiss anybody every single time. Everybody is happy to have one less person they can cross off the list (laughs) of who they have to deal with or listen to or be threatened by. Yeah, well said. I'm going to add to this. Very well said, and a lot of people will resonate with that, Courtney, as well. And we'll get back to this. This is, but this is important. Like that's how we set this up. We have young, up and coming singer songwriters, whatever. One thing about this day and age, with the downloads, with the Spotify, things like that, where let's say you would have lost a record deal after putting on a couple records in the 70s or 80s. Now you can literally do it. We could record a record tonight. Ryan could grab his damn fiddle. Tom could start cutting promos. We could we could literally track a record tonight like the band. What's interesting about with all at your fingertips is that you are now exposed to um, people's recent works. And one thing I discovered doing this podcast for seven, eight years, I tend to be a fan of people's for you as an example, they're more recent shit. As grown songwriters, as 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 grown-up people perfecting their craft, I think it's easier to get that out there now and for fans to appreciate that, even discover that still now, right now. So, whatever. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome discussion. All right. Okay. Thank you, guys. Who's the next? I don't know what the fuck we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's my turn. Yeah. I think it goes back to Tom, actually, because, Mark, the last one you just did was when I paint my masterpiece yeah. as and four, then, and then oh, Tom will go back and yeah, do yeah. his number four. You did, oh, you did paint my masterpiece? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, Tom, the internal number three. Yeah. I'm getting to the bottom of the barrel. I don't have anything I can sell with any. Well, passion. we got we got some sparks. To, quick questions oh, before we get through. Oh, right, let's fire through these we'll last just couple. Throw it out, and we'll all, right. all we'll all say all right. something. All right, let's speed through I, I these argue, ones. I will argue is in everybody's list. Every every list you ever find, this is going to be right up there near the top. In some cases, one, two, or three with Dylan. It is a definitive Dylan song. It's shocking in some ways that hasn't been mentioned yet. It potentially should have been ahead of the times they are a change, and or certainly right along with it, hard rain's going to fall. Oh, yeah. Dylan wrote that with, he said that every line of that song was at some point going to be its own song. Now, that sounds actually impossible, but that's a classic <laughs> Dylan description of Not one of his impossible. tunes. Uh, and it was the first apocalyptic song ever written, I believe. And it, too, could be about today. It's mm -hmm. another one of Dylan's songs that you could say, oh, I get it. Someone penned that today. Sure, looking around, that makes sense. Um so I'll throw that one out. Yeah, okay, it's amazing one. when you think about how young he was when he wrote that. Yeah. Like, when I was, what, 19-something? Yeah. He was younger than you guys, way younger. Like, the the stuff I was coming up with when I was 19, <laughs> not even close. The drizzling yeah. shits. <laughs> and and, the, the, and the, weird, the weird thing you got to throw into the mix of what you're saying, Ryan, is... He actually leaves the Twin Cities having impressed virtually no one. No one. It's January, is it 60 or 61? 60? He's leaving January, February. Within a year, I believe, these great songs are coming out or are being written. And when he comes back to the Twin Cities to visit, the guys who know him... And they're still alive, some of them. They'll tell you. They just said, what happened? That's not the guy who left. He left being just a guy in the mix. And a mix, by the way, not in L.A., New York, or Chicago. A, a guy in the mix in Minneapolis. Dinky town. Yeah, just nothing to write home about. Mm. To one of the most astounding singer-songwriters they'd heard. And they said... You know, that's where, and you hear it in the 60 Minutes Ed Bradley interview with Dylan, the same one where he talked about uh, how he wrote um, It's All Right, Mom, Only Bladen. He, he says, people claim I made a deal with the devil. Because they said, you can't get that good that fast. You can't, unless you work a Robert Johnson Crossroads kind of deal. And I still, as I read about that period, don't understand that leap. It is a leap unlike any musician or singer-songwriter I've ever heard of. The, the, the word you hear in physics is a quantum leap. He made a quantum leap with no apparent impetus. What, like, what, what triggered that? Yeah, I don't know. Like, he obviously... It's, uh, it's probably easy for humans to just be like, he sold his soul to the devil. Or, like, he had a spiritual awakening that he... Or he was able to, like tap into like some uh, 
presence in his in his you know being and and pull out these amazing songs and lyrics and stuff. And you know maybe something like that happened, unprovable. He but he, you know he worked his ass off to be undeniably the best. You know like he, this might be a, a a portion of both or something. But the one one thing is unprovable. The other thing is he probably put a lot of time yeah, in yeah, listening yeah. to listening to music, writing stuff. He probably wrote thousands of songs that were just like garbage and threw away. Um, just practice and practice and practice and practice and practice until it's like. You know, he's also we're, we haven't said yet, but maybe everybody knows this or maybe I don't know. But I'm going to throw in that I believe that the, the part of the story is that he already was obsessed with the songs of Woody Guthrie. And when he got to the East Coast, he tried to find Woody Guthrie. And when he went and he he really like hunted him down and tried to like find him in his home. And his family told Bob Dylan that Woody had been institutionalized for he was sick, but he also was mentally ill. And Bob went and and was allowed after waiting many days, apparently, to, he was allowed to go in and meet Woody and talk to him in his hospital bed. And Woody was either refusing to speak or couldn't speak anymore. And Bob stood at the foot of his bed. This is the story I've heard. And said, you are the greatest and I respect you so much. Or whatever he was saying. And supposedly, Woody took his pad of paper that he wrote stuff on to tell people what he wanted to say. And he wrote, I ain't dead yet. And that's what he showed him. <laughs> I love it. I gotta dive in for one second. I met Tom Mishke years ago. I'm a. I'm actually. A, I teach at a Stoic Philosophy College. A College of Stoic Philosophers is a plug. I met you our first time at a Stoic meetup years ago yeah. at uh, at the uh, uh, Dubliner. And what Stoic philosophy says is that. There's a conscious cosmos, like consciousness, like Galileo is not, he stopped when it comes to physical science. There's this Consciousness has not been explained. And how I would describe Bob Dylan's talent is that his subconscious mind, similar to, let's say you talk, I might, this might be a little controversial, but like, let's say you take an autistic person, like like Dennis, whatever, uh, uh, from like Rain Man, they can drop all this kind of stuff. Or like, Tom, you can drop these musical facts like a whatever he his brain was tuned into something in the cosmos mm -hmm. in the overall consciousness of the universe that spoke to people i he didn't he didn't set out i think he had all the ambition in the world but you pull any of the stuff that wouldn't have he was tuned into something there was other also ambitious songwriters yeah, the and reason, players the reason he's I, tuned into something the reason i agree what with you that say makes sense to me and i agree with that is i think dylan's writing surprised him and you can see it Agreed. in his interviews. Agreed. When people interview him, he's not up for, as a young guy, speaking for that music. Because he doesn't know where it came from. Mm -hmm. And yet he's being asked to defend it and, and speak as a representative of it and speak ultimately as a representative for a generation. And he's just a kid. He's just some kid. He doesn't know where this stuff came from, so I, I think you're you're onto something there, and I think that's very accurate. That he was, he was drawing from that well. What did John Prine say? He said, "I'm just the court stenographer. Don't come to me for what the song is about." That is just genius. The court that's stenographer. So good. 
Okay, guys, we got to keep this going. Okay, who's next? <laughs> we got to keep this rolling. This is outstanding. I love you guys. It's going good. Who's next? Ryan. It's my turn. Okay, let's see. Okay, I'm going to... Okay, so this kind of relates to... Um, when I pay my masterpiece a little bit. Um, because I read... I remember reading somewhere that the first line he wrote of this song was uh, Little Red Wagon, Little Red Bike. I ain't no monkey, but I know what I like. Aww. And uh, if I would have come up with that, I would have been like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> like, I would have I would have discarded it and tried to come up with something brilliant, you know? Uh, but he didn't, and he, like, made Buckets of Rain out of it, which is a fantastic song, you know? Delightful song. Um but it's uh, it's maybe it kind of relates to when I paint my masterpiece a little bit in that he didn't he didn't kill it before it was born you know like where a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of musicians and songwriters I think they might they 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 kill their dumb ideas they kill their babies before they're even born you know they they're just uh, that's a dumb idea I'm not gonna do that I'm gonna try to think of something better uh, but yeah. That's uh, so. That's it's inspirational to me. That that was his first line in that song, and before I knew that, that would have maybe been like the dumbest line in that song. <laughs> it's not dumb. It's just like uh, okay, you know, that, he's not a monkey. Got, got it. Excellent, my brother. I think I think only Dylan, not only Dylan, but Dylan and a few others can get away with that. Like Leonard Cohen couldn't write that way. Yeah. He would have gotten rid of the line, written a better line, then a better line, then a better line, then four months would have gone by and he written a better line, and eventually four years later the song would have come out. Yeah. And that's what he would have needed to do. He couldn't have gone with that line and have people going, hey, that's great. Like, Dylan gets away not only with that, but he gets away with first and second takes of songs. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which I would argue a bunch of music I like is seventh or eighth take. Not Dylan, other bands. Right. Dylan, those first two work. There was a weird thing with him that you can't go across. You can't say, hey, all songwriters, musicians, guys in studios, do it Dylan's way. That worked for Dylan. And and it, it's not a school you can go to and necessarily learn from on that level. Yeah, I think Neil Young is also that way. Uh, he, uh, there's a, a few, I don't know the uh, specific songs, unfortunately. Uh, but there's been a few, uh, at least one or maybe a few hits of his that were his, they were recording as, as basically he was teaching the band how to play the song. And then I didn't know that about Neil. He, he just pushed, the, he's like, push record. <laughs> and so they push record and like they, they're, they're watching his hands, you know, as he's playing and singing the song and. And then they're like, okay, I think, you know, they, they stopped the song, and the, the band's like, okay, I think we got it. Are we ready for take one? He's like, nope, got it. It's already now, now, contrast that with someone who you would respect just as much as Neil, certainly I would, uh, Lucinda Williams, taking six years for her masterpiece, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. Yeah. She needed all six years, and I'm talking six years from when she started recording, not writing the songs. Right. Uh, People are different. Um, Neil Young is a big, big believer in not thinking when you're writing a song. If you're right. thinking, you're screwing up. Yep. He, he gets get your brain out of the way. Uh, Paul Simon would not say that. So no. it's it's weird, you know. Yeah, there's different styles of yeah. music and writing and recording and 
one isn't better than the other. Some right. some things work for some people and they don't work for other people. So Thank you guys for that. Okay, we got to get to what's next. Courtney. You're number two, right? Okay. Um, then we need to take a little... She's number one. Mm-hmm. She gets back-to-back picks. Yeah, she's number one, so oh, this is going to be God. four, and then she'll go five. Okay, so then we... But I have some little... I have some stuff for you guys, so we twist this up a hair for the judges. So let's do your number two. We're going to switch to the top five Kiss songs, right? <laughs> I did that podcast. It's fun <laughs> as fuck, man. Okay, so Courtney, do your number two. Okay. Right, right number two. I'm right. doing it? She's yeah. number yes. one. I'm doing it. Oh, that's it. your number one one? Is it? No, no, no. She, I, have, I have two she's more songs I can yeah, do. Yeah, so you're number two. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Got, yeah. All right, so I have two songs I can do. So, all right. Um, so the one that I want to do first is I would like to say that there's only one Bob Dylan song right now, and it's about the recording to some degree, I would say, that I am aspiring to as a songwriter. There's only one song right now of his that I think about that song, I think about that recording, and I think I wish I could capture for myself the same sort of, it's some kind of like joy de vivre or some je ne sais quoi, it's some kind of thing that's a very beautiful, uh, joyful sentiment. I also do think that this song is part of his like religious, um, biblical reference, a lot heavy on that kind of stuff. But without going into those very specific songs, I'm going to say Joker Man. So you would like to write, I'm just getting this straight, you would like to write like that? I'd love like just right from the very beginning and he said you were born with a snake in both of your fists while a hurricane was blowing freedom just around the corner from you but in truth so far off what good would it do joker man danced to the nightingale tune i don't know it's like oh that is catchy and i thought it was it's wonderful it's delightful And it's something about I think he's I think he's writing about himself or he's writing about Jesus. I don't know who he's. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But it's very. Um, what album is that from? I don't know. Saved? Infidels. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know. I just know that it's a really magical sure. recording, and it makes me feel special. And I want to I want to write special like that. Yeah. Excellent, guys. We got to take five. What? All right, so we're gonna take five. We're gonna come back for our number one pick. A wrinkle and then the judgment. Come on back 
Take a minute or two to thank the two sponsors of this week's podcast, ID Chrysler Zombrota and the B-Dale Club. Summer is here. At least spring is anyway, I think, and I hope it stays. Really looking forward to rocking and rolling down some Wisconsin, Minnesota back roads. My black Jeep Cherokee I got from ID Chrysler. With 250,000 miles, my old car, just so much for that poor thing to take. I found myself looking for my new dream ride at ID Chrysler. And the staff can more help with me choosing a vehicle and willing to work with my, at the time as I called it, musician's credit score. Their philosophy is simple, time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out the inventory at ZabrotaCGR.com or take the beautiful drive down US 52 to 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Zabrota, Minnesota to visit them in person. Business hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out ID Chrysler Zabrota today and enjoy a safe, Spring. Please stick around, spring. Season full of adventures and memories out in the open road in a new ride. Also, the B-Dale Club, the BDC 2100, one of my favorite bars in the Roseville St. Paul, Minnesota area. Located in the corner of Condor Road, B-N-Dale, their motto is a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun, and that is a stone cold truth. This Thursday, going to be rocking out with Jay Wilkins, Brian Johnson down there. Blues, harmonica, night, live music every Thursday down there. Natalie, Shelley, Dustin, the entire bar staff, all state-of-the-art cocktail wizards. As of late, my libation of choice is the classic Jameson Ginger. And to quote 16-time world champion Ric Flair, it's a tasty little devil. Live music, pool table, pull tabs, Tuesday night, chess society, bingo, meat raffle, bocce ball Thursdays, and much, much more. B-Dale's got it all. Stop by for a cold one today. Next up is my interview with Scarlett Woods. We talk about our new single, Close to You, Braver These Days. Scarlett Woods, welcome to the Minnesota Music Shakedown. How's it going today there, Scarlett? It is going, it's going well. And you're coming at us from Brainerd, right? I am, yeah. How, how is everything up in Brainerd this week? Oh, it's great. I just went cross-country skiing this morning before it got warm out, and it's amazing outside. Yes, <laughs> yes. Are you guys supposed to yeah. get that snor- storm that's coming this week? 
we are not. <laughs> really? It's hitting St. Cloud and everything south of St. Cloud. So we will not get anything, which I'm kind of excited about. I, yeah. don't wanna, I don't like driving in snow. Oh, no. I don't, I don't like it at all. You know? Yeah, it's hard to drive. Yes, it is. We're here to talk about Scarlett's new single, Closer to You, Braver These Days. And uh, it's an awesome acoustic song. And I was wondering if uh, you wanted to talk about the process of making the song, what the story behind the song is. Just kind of tell us about it. Yeah. Okay. So I started working on... So I wanted to bring a song... Um, the Dylan Fest songwriter contest and I was working on this other song at the time and it just wasn't it just wasn't happening and uh, it was about a week before the contest and I still wanted to do the contest and I didn't want to bring one of my older songs and you know more established you know it's it's about the you know being close to humans you know, I don't, I don't, I believe in my heart that we're really truly not supposed to connect with each other through this, these electronic devices, these screens, you know, I, th- I think once in a while, you know, to send an email or a message or whatever, I, I, I think that that's okay. But, you know, just experiencing the pandemic and, and, and everyone did and, um, and especially coming from a musician's perspective and how much like live performance and how much musicians really do need the interaction of the human and not a screen or technology. So that song is basically just a story about being close to another human and reconnecting with that human and uh, it was kind of inspired by reading uh, Atul's Gwandi, uh, a book called Being Mortal. Being, yeah, being, yeah, being mortal. Um, and he, one of the chapters, he talks about um, the older population and how, you know, we just seem to put them in homes and they don't get that human interaction, that human touch, and the health of those, you know, those folks just decline drastically. And he also talks about how, you know, newborn babies need to be touched and held and, you know, being close to other humans. And, you know, the the babies that don't get that kind of care, you know, their health drastically declines. So it kind of all ties into this, you know, being close to to humans <laughs> and trying not to let, you know, this, this rain of technology kind of pull us away from each other. So I gotcha. You. Outstanding. So it was produced by Kevin Bow, the classic Minnesota musician, producer, songwriter, Kevin Bow. Yeah. Kevin Bow. Oh God. He's so good. He's, he was so much fun to work with. How did you, how did you meet uh, him? Krista introduced me to him. I was looking for a producer in Minneapolis and she, you know, sent off all these producers that she knew and yada, yada. And, uh, he's the one that kind of responded back to me and he really likes the seven string. Cause that's the, that's what I'm playing. in that song is, is a seven string, uh, classical acoustic. That is pretty cool. Is there an extra string in the top or the bottom? And it's a classical string. 
yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's a bottom. So it's a low A. So did you go down, drive down to the Twin Cities to work with him? And what studio were you at? Uh, it's in his studio. It's in his house in the basement. Yeah, it's called Kill, Kill Room A. Kill Room A? I think. Yeah. Nice. And who all played yeah. on the song? Uh, Noah Levy was on the drums. Um, mm, uh, Kevin played the bass and some little shakers. And then um, the horns. So there's a trombone and a sax. And the trombone player, da, 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 David Budimir. And saxophone is Rick Manick. So Nice. So are you planning on putting out an entire record this year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'll come out in September, and that the song is one of the songs off that album. So. Um, what's what's the record gonna be called? Are you recording all those with Kevin as well? I am. Yeah, it's the album's gonna be called Letters to the West. Um, I used to live out west for fifteen years so in Oregon, kinda, right? Uh, yeah, eight years in Oregon and five years in California. Nice, and um. So, so what yeah. type of music is on there? More than like more song singer songwriter stuff, or do you mix it up at all, or what? What's the new album like? Uh, you know, it has more. It has more of a pop feel to it. I think you know, definitely. It is still kind of is in the realm of singer songwriter, but I don't know. There's 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 more little fun tidbits to it versus. You know, versus like the last album I did, you know, that that was like, I don't know, your first projects are always like your babies where you get to learn all your mistakes and <laughs> all the things that you wouldn't do again. Um, I'm just so excited to work with him. It was such a pleasure to work with Kevin and just how his brain is so different from mine, but yet just the two of us kind of interacting and bouncing these ideas off each other it's like he understood what i was trying to say what what sounds i'm looking for and can and you can you give us an example of something you'd ask for and how he would just create it in the studio like what you're talking about uh yeah so when you listen to the song so i was always i love transitions transitions in a song like i think things should kind of shift in a song when there's a transition so if it goes into the chorus or it comes out of the chorus or if it goes into another verse and um there's this breath in the song where it's just guitar playing and that space was nice if it would have just stayed as the guitar and the drums and the bass and everything but Kevin just had this idea where he just he wanted to put something else in there after that verse or no wait it was after the chorus and you can hear that in the song it's like this high pitched um it's actually my voice but he just did something to my voice to where it just sounds like this really cool ambient sound in the band. and it just it just makes the song so much cooler <laughs> That's awesome and uh, yeah. so, so what were you, 
recording this record or making this song in particular, I know it was for the Bob Dylan Fest. Was he your inspiration for this song? Are we, or who's your, who do you listen to when you write songs or who do you emulate when you write songs and sing? Who's some um, of your references or influences, I guess? Yeah. Um, so that song in particular, I wanted to actually make it sound more simple because it is a Bob Dylan Fest songwriter contest and Bob Dylan songs are ex- very simple. And um, I think I just knew that bringing one of my more uh, elaborate songs to the table probably wouldn't have been the greatest idea. So I guess I was trying to keep it uh, in a more formulaic uh, writing style when I was writing specifically for that contest. Okay. Um, Are you a big Bob Dylan fan yourself? You know, I don't listen to Bob Dylan per se. I listen to bands that cover him. Nice. That that to me is just more interesting to my ears, you know, because I'm I'm not really a fan of his singing voice and I don't, and I'm not really a fan of his guitar playing either. So, but his lyrics and his melodies are, are just to die for it, you know, and I just, I don't know, I think when other artists cover Bob Dylan, it just makes it that much, it makes that song much more enjoyable for me to listen to. Do you have a CD release party planned? Are you going to have a big CD release show? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably in September. Yeah, yeah, totally. Nice. Yeah, All I'm right. gonna try to get at the Dakota Jazz Club for that one. That'd be outstanding. That'd be Heck yeah, that's awesome. Do you think you'll have some of the players that you record with play with you on your CD release show? That's a good question. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't normally play with other artists. I'm, I'm so comfortable as a solo act, and I feel like. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. It would sound amazing, but just finding time to rehearse and being so far away and I don't know, it really complicates things to add band members. You know, I think if I live down in Minneapolis, which, you know, someday hopefully I can afford to do that, that would be more feasible to start adding more band members to my sound. As you stepped out of the room I leaned a little closer After all the springs and bloom Thought away what I waited to say Feeling a little braver these days all over me Call us to become like one that night gave me a song I got hooked by your smile Pulled me from a mile I'm feeling a little braver these days I'm feeling braver
steady moves leading this time Was feeling for a beat Where our steps would fall align I got hooked by your style Pulled me from a mile I'm feeling a little braver these days I'm feeling Bringing home this week's episode of the Minnesota Music Shakedown is another song by one of the featured guests this week, T.D. Mishki, with a title track from his 2008 album, That Kind of Day. Big thanks to Andrew Crowley from Organica Studios for assisting in post-production. This has been the Minnesota Music Shakedown. If you'd like to toss a buck or two in the podcast tip jar, please go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Music. If you like what I do, check out my website, markstarymusic.net. For song or artist submissions, please email me at markstarymusic at gmail.com or message me on social media. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time. Yeah.
up in my feet. 